Today's show is brought to you by Datalore, a collaborative data science platform from JetBrains. Datalore brings together a first-class coding experience for data scientists using Python, SQL, R, and Scala in Juniper Notebooks, a modern BI with interactive data apps and easy ways to share your insights with stakeholders, and a live team collaboration on notebooks and no-code automations. You can install Datalore with Docker or Kubernetes in your private cloud or on-premises and be sure that your data doesn't leave your environment. Datalore is free for teams of up to four people. Start for free at datalore.team slash cloudcast and use the code cloudcast for a 5% purchase discount. That's datalore.team slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. Another Sunday Perspective show as we continue to move along into November. It's unbelievable. Leaves are leaves are all falling off, but the weather is still somewhat warm here in North Carolina. So great, uh, great fall day to, to watch some college football and uh, kind of enjoy the weather and enjoy the leaves and all those sort of things. So what I want to talk about today is there was a, a topic, if you, know, if you listened to the last show where Aaron and I kind of gave a review of KubeCon Cloud Native Con 2022 in Detroit. Um, one of the questions that Aaron asked was, you know, as we talked about kind of how, how big the conference had gotten, but also how kind of diversified in terms of topics that uh, the, the conference has gotten in terms of, you know, Kubernetes is not sort of the center of it anymore. It's much more of Cloud Native Con than it is KubeCon uh, or yeah, KubeCon. Um, you know, what What becomes sort of the future of this? And he asked it, he framed up the question in, in the context of, um, you know, is is this going to become sort of OpenStack Big Tent 2.0, if you will? And for those of you who have no idea what that means, um, I put a link in the show notes. I did a, a Sunday Perspective on this a long time ago. Um, there was a time when, when OpenStack was sort of kind of the same size and velocity as KubeCon uh, as, a, as a technology, but also as a community. Again, it was kind of the predecessor to what happened with KubeCon in terms of people saying, hey, can we build an open source alternative to either a VMware or an AWS or, you know, just, you know, private cloud, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud type of thing. And what probably ultimately sort of became the, the downfall of that was the the project itself, OpenStack, took on a, you know, took on kind of a huge footprint. They started trying to add all the projects on top of it. And so people started calling that Big Tent. I think the OpenStack community actually sort of called that their Big Tent strategy. It was their way of saying, hey, people really need a lot of things in order to be successful in terms of technologies. And we would like to bring them all into one Big Tent, right? One place to do all of this stuff. And so what I want to talk about in today's Sunday Perspective is not just that aspect of the show, not just that question about where where does it go or you know will it repeat um, you know things from the past in terms of historical context, but really kind of want to talk about just sort of where things are going um, in terms of of this event, this community, these communities, if you will, and you know what are some of the things that that may end up coming out of it, um, especially again since Kubernetes is is no longer sort of the the central focus of it in terms of, you know, kind of the center of innovation, the center of where investment is happening and so forth. So we're going to dig into that after the break. If you want to get more out of your applications, then you need to know which parts of your code are consuming the most resources. Today's show is brought to you by gProfiler, an open source profiling tool for code performance in production. gProfiler is the must-have tool for performance and cost optimization, enabling any team to reap the benefits of continuous profiling and proactively look for optimization opportunities. 
G-Profiler can be deployed cluster-wide in just minutes with no code changes or deployment modifications whatsoever. And best of all, it's free. So start profiling today at gprofiler.io. That's gprofiler.io. Buffering. How annoying. Did you know that 17 out of 20 people stop watching a video because of stalling and rebuffering? Don't let your users click away to a competitor's site. If your business lies on online media, rely on CDN 77 to deliver a seamless online experience to your audience. CDN 77 is one of the leading global providers of content delivery network services. They power the world's most popular websites and apps such as Udemy, ESL Gaming, Live Sports TV, and social media platforms. Aside from their massive and redundant global network, you're going to love their no BS attitude and skilled team of engineers ready to help 24-7. No chatbots, no tickets bouncing around unresolved for days, just people who know your use case and can immediately help you pinpoint and fix the problems. Don't wait until your users run out of patience. Go to cdn77.com slash cloudcast and ask for a free trial with no duration or traffic limits. That's cdn77.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to kind of dig into what uh, what we think is, you know, just some potential future paths for cloud native con or, you know, kind of the the ecosystem around what typically is gathering at cloud native con, KubeCon and so forth. So I want to walk through a couple of different possibilities and, and I'm not necessarily forecasting one or the other, but just some possibilities of what may happen out of this. Now, the thing to keep in mind is that, you know, a couple of, a couple of basic things. So when uh, KubeCon got started, uh, originally got started in 2015, um, thanks to JJ Jackson and some others, um, 2016 was really sort of the first time in Seattle where there were a lot of companies there. And there was also, you know, the beginnings of a number of companies really talking about their journey with Kubernetes. At the time, it was really a very Kubernetes-centric show. Um, yes, there was the beginnings of Things like Prometheus uh, were starting to sort of pop up as like, hey, you know, other stuff that's uh, kind of around Kubernetes are beginning to pop up. Uh, but again, first things got started, it was very, very Kubernetes centric. And then over time, obviously, Kubernetes had a had a great run, probably five or so years of being kind of very, very dominant, very much the center of gravity of this conference. So it was, you know, it's now been 20 something releases. It was, you know, all sorts of new things that were happening with Kubernetes. Where could it run? What new capabilities were being added? Uh, you know, was it going to have a developer focus? Was it an infrastructure focus? What were the different ways in which it was going to scale? How could you, you know, add new capabilities to it? So it really, you know, and, and again, it also went through sort of, um, you know, what people would call the sort of um, orchestration wars, right? Like Docker Swarm was, you know, happening at the time and, and Mesosphere, Mesos was, was happening at the time. But it really kind of emerged as, as the central technology, sort of the standard for how to do container uh, orchestration. Um, it was a place where there was a very healthy ecosystem of not only tons of companies and people con contributing, there were a lot of companies who were offering variations on Kubernetes and, and various parts of Kubernetes as a service for commercial offerings. So there was multiple ways in which you know, end user companies could could be successful with it, could provide their input to see where the technology could go. And there was just there was just a lot of energy and, and innovation that happened for for a number of years, really kind of right up until up until the pandemic. And it's not that 
Kubernetes sort of went away. Obviously, it's it's very much a, a you know a healthy standard. There's a lot of people that are deploying on Kubernetes, but I feel like you know when the pandemic sort of hit was coincidentally around the same time that the Kubernetes community you know, was about you know either 18, 19, 20 releases into Kubernetes, and the market had sort of shifted. The market sort of said, "Look, um, it's great that all this innovation is happening." But, you know, we've got a lot of things deployed on Kubernetes. We'd actually like to see it become a little more stable. We'd actually like to make it a little more operations friendly than sort of innovation, uh, you know, sort of innovation hub. And so we saw a couple of things happen. We saw, um, you know, the Kubernetes community say, look, we're going to move from four releases a year to three releases a year, which may not sound like a lot, but but that's a big deal. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges for Kubernetes was was always you know, the frequency at which you had to upgrade your infrastructure. Um, and then, you know, they they really sort of started saying, hey, look, we're going to focus less on lots and lots of new innovation. We're going to really focus on stability because, again, it's become a mature product or, a te- you know, project. Um, the technology's you know, fairly mature. Yes, there will be new things that come along and there's still new interesting things that happen in the Kubernetes community. But it was around that same time, right around uh, when COVID was beginning to unfortunately be a big deal, um, the Los Angeles uh, KubeCon event kind of coincided with around the time that, you know, Kubernetes sort of, you know, tried to become more stable, more foundational than than sort of innovative. <clears throat> and up until that time, it, you know, it wasn't like the entire event was only Kubernetes for years and years and years. There were, you know, gradually more and more projects that were that were kind of coming into uh, you know, into the CNCF. And for a little while, for the first couple of years, it very much felt like the CNCF, uh, when Dan Kahn was running it, was very much, and there was always a debate about this, but, you know, there were distinct projects that if you looked at them together, you sort of said, hmm, these sort of look like a stack, right? A sort of a CNCF endorsed stack. And the CNCF was always very clear to say, look, we're not we're not picking the stack. We're not supporting the stack. Um, but you know, there was quite a bit of rigor to sort of say, like, hey, are we ready to accept a, a new project into what was going on? Right. So you saw a lot of companies begin to say, look, we're going to build our cloud native foundation, the things we're doing for digital transformation and multi-cloud and and journey to the cloud and building new applications on the things that they saw the CNCF kind of bringing in on board. Because they felt like, okay, there really is a foundation for um, all those things to work together. Um, they're built on Kubernetes. They're Kubernetes native. There seems to be very good rigor around the number of contributors. The projects seem healthy, all that sort of stuff, like good governance, all that kind of stuff. And and then over time, um, you know, as with with any healthy you know ecosystem, there was a lot of things that sort of spun up around it. Now there was a point in time. And I don't know why this necessarily happened or, you know, whether it's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but you used to sort of go like, oh, well, the, you know, the, the, the monitoring framework within CNCF is Prometheus or, you know, the, the proxy framework is, uh, is Envoy or, you know, whatever, you know, tracing fluent D or something. And then you began to have these situations in which, you know, CNCF just sort of became the place where every open source project went. And what was interesting to me is I looked at the CNCF landscape and I went to a couple of different things this week was the number of projects in any given domain 
that are now CNCF projects, right? For example, uh, I think somebody mentioned there's like 12 service mesh that are now in there. Everything from Linkerd to Istio to um, Kong to, you know, uh, Cilium to a whole bunch of, you know, like there's a bunch. And, you know, so I think the CNCF has sort of moved from a place where people go to sort of go, okay, they've identified what they think is the healthiest community or the one that's got the most chance of being successful and reducing risk for end customers to the place where, you know, projects just go because it's it's sort of a stamp of approval. And again, not making any sort of comment on the CNCF as to why they've sort of gone in that direction. You know, part of it's just the ecosystem has, has come along. Part of it's you know, different companies who start different projects don't necessarily want to work with other projects. And and that's the normal, you know, kind of uh, way the ecosystems evolve and some will win and some will lose and some will survive and all that sort of stuff. But it's, you know, it, what it does is it, and, and, and this was very much highlighted in the keynote was, you know, there are literally multiple, maybe multiple hundred. I want to, I felt like there was like 34, you know, kind of incubating projects in like a hundred or eighty or so sandbox projects in the CNCF now, and the CNCF really kind of celebrated that. And so, it's really moved from I think a place where people go for sort of distinct things to where they go where it's it's more of a bazaar. It's more of a you know, it's like going to the Home Depot. Like you can get paint, and you can get a ladder, and you could get a lawnmower, and you can get a grill, and you can like all those things are there. Um, they just sort of go like, hey, it's not our job anymore to sort of set the direction of where things are going. And maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Um, maybe it's – and we'll kind of get into you know sort of where KubeCon is sort of going and associated with, with sort of CNCF and so forth. So – you know, the first question that Aaron brought up um, as I eight minutes into this sort of rant was, you know, is this sort of OpenStack uh, Big Tent 2.0? And again, go back and listen to the one that I did on on OpenStack, I think a year and a half ago or something. The, the first thing that differentiates, there's really two things that differentiate sort of KubeCon from the OpenStack community. First and foremost, um, OpenStack never had any customers until they eventually kind of pivoted and went over to, to to telcos and so forth. But there was never customers at the OpenStack event, at least not very many. There were lots and lots of vendors. KubeCon, completely different. There are hundreds of companies there, hundreds of customers, hundreds of real deployments. Um, so by that measure of it, um, this is technology that is being used all over the place. It isn't too hard to install. It isn't too hard to configure. It isn't too hard to figure out which projects are required to go with other projects. The second part of it is um, OpenStack sort of made the mistake of trying to be a very vertical stack with these weird kind of dependencies and and things. Um, Kubernetes was, you know, one of its its biggest probably successful things is it didn't try and become too much. It it was you know a platform for building platforms, and some people use it for the most raw orchestration capabilities. Other people have built PaaS platforms on top of it. Other people have built. Uh, you know, messaging platforms on top of it. Others are just plugging into the CNI framework and the CSI framework and the security framework and all that sort of stuff. It's it's a much more modular, you know, kind of foundational technology. And so for that reason, even though there's all these other projects that are going on, it's very much not making the mistakes of its predecessors. And, and for that reason, um, it is a very, you know, vibrant, healthy technology foundation to allow these other things to either succeed or fail or whatever, but they're not succeeding or failing because the thing underneath it or the thing gluing it together is too 
complicated, too underused, whatever it might be. So I think that's a that's a big checkbox of, you know, no, they're not making that same mistake, which is good. Um, and then I start getting into sort of thinking about, okay, let's let's draw an analogy to what KubeCon looks like versus sort of the the two biggest conferences in in our section of the industry, which is sort of, you know, what people would call cloud or cloud infrastructure or, you know, those sort of things. So one of those being VMworld, which I guess is now called VMware Explore, but, you know, for many years was sort of the the center of the universe for on-prem things. And then AWS reInvent, which, you know, still continues to be sort of the center of the universe for what happens in the public cloud. Um, I think from a from from both of these perspectives, the one thing that's that's very much not the same, the dynamic that's not the same is you don't have a central thing within within each one of these communities, right? So for a while it was Kubernetes, but even if it, even as it was Kubernetes, it wasn't a single vendor sort of dictating things, right? It wasn't VMware dictating it or AWS dictating it. It was it was Kubernetes was was sort of you know driving the ship, and you know there was many companies that were successful in that space, many companies who had you know great offerings in that space. Um, and so the, the event will never probably be sort of dictated the way that a vendor event is. And, and that's, you know, that's by design. Um, but it does, you know, it does sort of fragment the things around it um, in terms of, you know, the ecosystem figuring out, you know, who who are we engaging with? You know, there's there's a lot of, you know, should I partner with companies? You know, how do I make things, how do I get things done? Who Who's capable, who sells technology? Who's there to do consulting type of work? Who does support? It's it's much more kind of fragmented and you know multifaceted and all those things and and that may be a good thing, um, but it's it's just when you don't have one sort of central thing, it is much less kind of organized. People, you know, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of hmm, not really sure what I'm doing. Um, you know, there's a lot of people doing the same things that they may not necessarily have to do. It did. Um, it did sort of bring up an interesting, I had an interesting conversation with somebody, uh, happened to be at Red Hat, but again, that, that part doesn't really matter. And, and we were talking about things and, you know, we were kind of looking out over the, the land, the, the, the show floor and looking at all these things. And, and, and I said, you know, there really is, there's no entity. I said, there's, there's all these small companies here. And I said, you know, the one thing that all of them would love to have is some bigger go to market. Uh, thing, right? Because they're all basically, they're all spending a huge amount of money to do marketing, to come to these events. They're all spending a ton amount of money to have a, you know, 20 person, 30 person, 40 person sales force. They have, you know, marketing agencies. There really is no mechanism for all these companies to sort of plug into something bigger, some sort of bigger go to market thing. And I, and I kind of was joking with him. I said, you know, I bet you, if you walked around to uh, a good majority of the companies that are here, especially the ones that have taken a A, B, maybe even a C round of funding from VCs and said, hey, um, I'm I'm a large company. So maybe it's like Red Hat or IBM or somebody who, you know, is somewhat neutral to to the clouds, right? Can can work across multiple clouds and said, look, um, you know, not so much in a mafia sort of way, but but said, hey, look, for a percentage of your marketing budget, for example, we will be your go-to-market route. We will we will be your sales engine. We will OEM your stuff. We will sell your stuff, such that you know if you take the collective of what's there on the show floor, um, you know you put those things together and, and you have something that on some level, even though it's software, but it's you know it's all open source to a certain extent. It's, it's very flexible. It has a bunch of really interesting capabilities. You know can, can compete very well or be 
relevant versus the large cloud providers who now have you know, literally 100 plus services from databases to infrastructure to security to developer tools to you know, productivity to whatever that thing might be. And, you know, right now, if you look at if you look at that, there is no sort of unifying go to market function. And that's not the CNCF's job, but it really is an opportunity potentially for some sort of company that's larger um, that says, look, I, I have a I have a huge sales force. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of end customers who are interested in this type of technology, um, but they don't necessarily want to deal with 40 of you or 20 of you or 30 of you or whatever. So. Um, that sort of dawned to me as I was looking out at the show floor and going like, boy, there's a lot of market inefficiencies that exist within having 300 booths and 12 different companies in any given domain, all trying to do the same thing, but all doing it at very, very small scale. So that was sort of something that, that dawned on me as being like, hmm, there's, there is some sort of opportunity here, whether or not the market will, will figure that out, or all these companies are essentially competing against Amazon, Azure, and Google who have you know, kind of the kitchen sink. They all have a Home Depot sitting behind them. They all have, you know, an inventory of 100 plus services sitting behind them. The other thing that came up a number of times um, in in talking to different people was, and, and we're beginning to see this, and I, I, I don't know if this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing. I think I, I tend to sort of lean that it's probably not a great thing. And that is, um, there's a thing now happening, I think it's here in November, um, called Cloud Native Security Con or Cloud Native Con Security, one of the two. It's sort of, we're splitting off security from Cloud Native Con as its own event. And I don't know if that means that like there no longer will be security talks uh, you know, uh, accepted at, at KubeCon, Cloud Native Con, or if it's going to be its own thing. But there was also sort of talk of like, oh, well, maybe there will be Service Mesh Con or you know, Istio Con will split off as its own thing. And maybe... Um, you know, WasmCon or, you know, whatever con is going to spin off as its own thing such that those eight or 10 or 12 categories that aren't pure Kubernetes are going to become their own conference. And I'm sure to a certain extent, there's some thought process there that says, well, it is really hard to go to something like KubeCon now because it has so many kind of tentacles that if you really want to just go to listen, talk about security or service mesh or Wasm or, you know, software supply chain or whatever it is, it's really hard to kind of get a full week out of that. You get these really sort of fragmented things because of the ways that talks are accepted. And part of that's getting augmented by the Monday and Tuesday all-day events. Um, some people have complained that the all-day events you know, have a fee to them. They're some cases they're free. Great. Some cases they're literally three, four, five hundred dollars, which may not be in people's budget for a one day event. And they may only want to talk, you know, see one or two talks, or maybe that event is only from a single vendor and they, they really want more of a community thing. So I, I think that's the other aspect of this that I wonder, and I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see kind of how it evolves because on one hand, you know, KubeCon, CloudNativeCon is a big event in in a certain sense. On the other hand, it was, you know, it was 10,000 people roughly. That's not a big event, right? It's not as big as some of the big vendor events. It's not as big as VMworld. It's definitely not as big as, um, you know, reInvent. Um, and so if it starts fragmenting itself because it can't figure out a way to give people that want sort of more in-depth way of doing it, 
then you create yet again these sort of inefficiencies, right? So one of the efficiencies of, of KubeCon is like everybody comes together. Everybody's in one place. You can sort of find everything there. You can find the people there. You can find the companies there. You can find the technologies there. If they start doing, you know, security con in Phoenix and they start doing, you know, service mesh con in Seattle and they start doing this, you're going to take something that in and of itself is, you know, has decent mass, fragment it up, try and put it on the calendar somewhere that doesn't overlap with some other thing that people are, you know, trying to deal with. And it's going to make, you know, it's it's going to take something that, you know, had had done a lot of work to become a big sort of center of gravity mass thing break it up in a way that I think people are going to kind of look at it and go, hmm, that, is this thing special anymore? Does this thing have anything interesting to me? Um, and I think I think as a, as a set of communities, people need to sort of think about that. I think somewhere in between of saying like, don't fragment it um, because again, it, people, you know, you lose your sort of train of thought of like, oh, I need to go to that conference because there's a lot I can get out of it and meet a lot of people and do a lot of things to oh, wait, there's three or four or five of these things I got to keep track of. And I don't remember when they are in the calendar. They're in some, you know, some various places in the calendar. And the flip side of that of like, you do want to have for people that want certain amounts of depth um, to be able to, you know, have reasonable tracks at a reasonable price point to be able to go and get those levels of depth. And I think that's going to be a big thing that the, the KubeCon organizers, the underlying sort of communities that that feed into KubeCon, kind of need to figure out. And and right now, you know, like I said, there's this one thing with security that's sort of broken out. Um, the CNCF now has this just overall challenge of like Kubernetes is not the center of the discussion anymore. Um, it's very much at a crossroads and it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just means, you know, folks need to think very hard about, you know, what are we, what are we trying to do? What are the things that people really like about this event? Um, you know, maybe there's some things they don't necessarily like or they wish was more of. And I think they got to be really, really conscious of that because I think there's a, there's a really good opportunity that if you quickly try and fragment it or you quickly try and price it such that, you know, Monday is $500 and Tuesday is $500 and the show itself is, you know, whatever it is, $1,000. And then you've got five nights of hotels and a, it becomes really too expensive for people to go, especially if the economy gets a little bit softer for a year or two or whatever it might be. So anyways, I'm going to kind of wrap it up there. Um, a lot to think about, a lot to chew on, uh, you know, that, that kind of question of like, what's next with this conference, because it's been so robust for so long was, was more in my mind all week than I was kind of any individual technology. And again, I think that's because, you know, for so long we had this one core technology that was so vibrant, so innovative and it's, it's stabilized and matured. And, and so you expect different things from it. But it's the, you know, what will what will fill in those gaps? Will it be one thing? Will it be two things? Will it be 20 things? And I think the answer to those questions is kind of kind of dictate what happens with this this community, which has been so vibrant, um, has gotten, you know, such tremendous amounts of funding and has had so much excitement and innovation. Um, you know, the future of what the next couple of years looks like will be very, very interesting to see how, you know, certain decisions, um, whether they're at the CNCF level or they're at the community project level um, or even, you know, certain large vendor, you know, contributors level uh, will, will impact that. So with that, I'll wrap it up. Hope everybody's having a, a good weekend. Um, hope uh, you got a chance to spend some time with family. Thank you everybody for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for going out and, and rating the show. You know, if you get a chance, go to the Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your show, give us a rating. Five stars would be great. We'd love to hear your feedback. With that, I'm going to wrap it up. 
Thanks again for telling a friend and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.